From Tritank Experimental Laboratory, this is the Tritank Podcast, where we talk about all things related to innovation in the church. I'm Father Lorenz Labrija. Thank you for joining us. And joining me on the podcast today is Bob Johansson. He's a distinguished fellow with the Institute for the Future in Silicon Valley. He's had other conversations with us here at Tritank. And of course, uh, I'm, I'm always just so intrigued in talking with Bob because there's always just so much to learn. Last time we spoke was about his book, Full Spectrum Thinking. If you haven't read that one, please go out and get it. It is an amazing way of thinking about the church. But his new book is called Office Shock, Creating Better Futures for Working and Living. Bob, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much, Lorenzo. Great to be back with you. Thank you. Uh, you know, I, I am a big fan. I've taken class at the Institute for the Future. Uh, I'm a big fan of Think Future Back. And your book is asking us to to really place ourselves in this spectrum of thinking that, that it, it isn't all just something we can neatly put into, into boxes and just square away, which is, of course, where the church naturally has instincts to go. It's like, how do we just make this happen again, right? It's like, this has happened. How do we categorize it immediately so that we can go back to, I keep saying, 1950s? But your book's really an invitation to even what we would consider foundational questions to challenge our assumptions. And one of the questions your book really looks at is, why offices at all? Why do we need offices? But we as the church might be, as we're coming back from the pandemic, everyone was so desperate to get back into buildings. That question could become, why church buildings at all? Yeah, I think it's a it's a great starting point. And you know, one of the things I love about your Anglican tradition is the idea of discerning questions. And I think this is a discerning question, you know, why why in person, why offices, why churches at all? And there are good answers to that question. It's just, it should be a question asked, not an assumption made. And the research to date about in-person experiences is they are better for orientation, for trust building. So basically, orientation is, why are we here? <laughs> yeah. and, and trust building is, who are you? Uh, and then things like renewal, you know, getting back together, um, like early stage creativity is another thing that in person is better for. Culture building, it's better for that. Sometimes conflict resolution and finding common ground, it's better to be together in person. So those are the reasons why we might want to have offices or might want to have churches is for those more immediate, more intimate, more engaged experiences. But but then the challenge is, well, are your experiences good for that? Or are your spaces good for that? Or let me say that again. Uh, then the challenge is, are the physical spaces good for that? Are they good for orientation, good for trust building, good for renewal? And many of our offices were not. Uh, many of our churches were, were not. So it is a challenge um, and that's what our book is all about, Office Shock. It's that ability to take a pause and say, you know, why offices at all? <laughs> and then design around that. Do you think that it is, and this is the same I would imagine for offices as it is for, for the church, uh, as, a, as a member, right, of a sacramental denomination, uh, part of the reason why we would answer the, the question, like, why churches are important is because... It, it allows you to, you, you touched upon it a little bit, it allows you to build deeper personal relationships. 
It, how would employees, for example, and, and going to the office example, how would employees be able to build those relationships uh, to, that, that actually go beyond just work? Yeah, I, I, I think that is one reason uh, why we have offices, why we have in-person experiences to build relationships. Um, I do think that tradition, um, scripture tradition, for example, or rituals, uh, those are important uh, that can establish that grounding. Like the tradition, as I understand it, in in the Anglican faith is uh, around the world, um, all of your congregations do similar liturgies every Sunday. You know, that's an example of a familiar pattern that you share no matter where you are. Now, that does create a bond. So the shared values, the shared bonding, the shared rituals really help. But in-person experiences also help not to necessarily deliver new information, but to reinforce, to kind of ritualize the commitment that you may have made earlier, or at least the relationship that you had earlier. It, it, so here's the, uh, if, I, if, if I were coming to you and saying, hey, Bob, I need to, I'm going to hire you as the consultant. I need you to help me build the church for the next 10 years, what, what the mm-hmm. church will look like in 10 years. Where would you begin? I mean, would you actually <laughs> even begin looking at a building or would you begin looking differently at this? Um, well, the book is structured around what we call seven spectrums of choice, and that's where I'd begin. So we were asked when we uh, started this book two years ago, it's a two-year project, we were approached by a very creative Swiss office furniture company, USM, that makes beautiful furniture, kind of Swiss high-tech design modular furniture. And they said, well, what's the future of the office after COVID. And, you know, we're still not after COVID, but at (laughs) least we're getting past some of the worst of it. And we're in what we call an inter-pandemic period right now. So we're now facing up to this conversation. Well, how might we work together in what may be an office building, but it may be what we're calling the office verse, you know, that kind of archipelago of possibility. Mm. And the way I would answer your question about what's the future of the church, is I would apply the seven spectrums of choice. And we use it in, in this order. It begins with purpose. You know, why, why a church at all? You know, what's your purpose? Then what are the outcomes you're seeking? And we talk, you know, we're largely a business audience, so we talk there about a spectrum from, from um from shareholder value, a spectrum from shareholder value to stakeholder value. And it's not a binary choice. It's a, it's a sliding scale, essentially. Okay. And then we say over the next decade, the most important outcome is going to link to climate. So what are the climate impacts you're seeking or are willing to allow? Then we ask the spectrum of belonging. Uh, with whom do you want to office? And we talk about offices as the building officing as the process and the office verse as the kind of anytime, anyplace collection. Then we talk about the spectrum of augmentation. uh, And over the next decade, we're going to be augmented in ways we've never been augmented before. So the real question is, what do humans do best? What do computers do best? And we actually used uh, GPT-3 to help write that chapter. And it's interesting (laughs) because since the book came out, now everybody's talking about chat GPT. So we actually did a chatbot for our book. So I think Office Shock may be the first book to have its own chatbot. 
So, <laughs> and, and for our audience, we will have that in our show notes if you want to go play Great. with the chatbot. Yeah, you should play. Ask any question about Office Shock. Um, so then we finally get to the question of place and time, our sixth spectrum, uh, which is when, where, how do you want to communicate? And that spectrum is from the building to the office verse. And then finally, the seventh spectrum is agility. How do you want to hold it all together? So just to get back to your question, Lorenzo, in terms of designing the the church of the future, you'd want to think first, what's the purpose? What are the outcomes, particularly about climate? Uh, what are the people? How do, how do you want to include? Who do you want to bring into that? And how do you create that sense of belonging? How might you be augmented? Um, and then how do you fit in this time and place spectrum? And finally, how do you hold it all together? What's the, the glue that holds the church together or holds the organization together? And, and could I be as bold as to say that perhaps it's an invitation to think of it as the church verse? Mm-hmm. You know, it's, that it's not yeah. just in one place, that, it, that there's, a, there's a whole range <laughs> of it as well. If, if, if the office can become the office verse, the church can also become the church verse, I guess. It could be the church verse. It's interesting as we talk to different organizations, when we talk to production-oriented companies where the factory is first, we put the factory verse in the middle. When we talk to retail stores where the retail environment is first, we put the retail verse in the center. We're doing a big project now for United Way Worldwide, and for them, the community is the center. So we call it the community verse. Um, so I, I think it's a good question for a church is what do you put in the center uh, and and what do you call that? Maybe it's the church, maybe it's the people you serve, maybe it's the mission you serve. I don't, I don't know what goes in the center, but it is what it is that pulls you all together. And what I love about this work, of course, is that it's it's making you intentional about thinking through this, yes. not just accepting it, That's but, right. but thinking it through. Although one of the questions in your book that is very important, I think, to the church is because it is to this day still one of the most segregated hours in America. You, you talk about how do we create a culture that welcomes diversity? Right. Well, and, and you talk about augmenting ourselves uh, as, as one of those ways. How could the church be better at welcoming diversity? We say that we welcome everyone, that everyone's, but yet come Sunday morning, we tend to only stick around people that are just like us. Yeah, it's, it, it is a challenge. And I think if you, if you think future back, which is what we're doing in this whole book, we're applying full spectrum thinking uh, and we're thinking future back from 10 years ahead, it's going to be diverse whether we know it or not, or whether we accept it or not. It's going to be diverse. So the question is, how do we engage with all that diversity to see it as a plus, to see it as uh, a kind of fact of life that actually has lots of attractions to it and lots of challenges? So that has to be an intentional choice. And the way we talk about it is you want to be very clear about your direction, but very flexible how you get there. So if you have as a goal to be inclusive, that's your clarity. And then you got to figure out how to do it. In a sense, the office verse or the church verse, the anytime, anyplace world allows us to engage with a wider range of people than we could if it's all in the same building or in a single place. So there is that flexibility, but there has to be 
something that calls them in, <laughs> calls them into the church verse. Uh, and, you know, that's where it's important to seek seek the common ground. Wow, that is... And, and, and again, this is a theme that's been through some of your other books, right? The, 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 yes. It's the, the system, life, everything seems to reward clarity and punish uncertainty. Um, right? Exactly. The more uncertain we get, the more it's a VUCA world, you know, volatile, yeah. uncertain, complex, and ambiguous, the more that future rewards clarity, but also the more it punishes it punishes certainty because certainty is brittle and brittle breaks. Yeah, it, and I always tell people, anyone who just knows exactly what the future is going to hold, <laughs> I don't listen to them. It's like, no, uh, th this isn't fortune telling. This is we're, <laughs> right. scenario building. Um, you know, I wonder when, when we're talking about this diversity, I think part of it, it you know, as, as much as we're talking about future back and a lot of it, though, is also we do have to be intentional. If we if we are clear that what we want is to be more diverse in our churches and having this agility to be able to do it in many different ways, but the thing that's sort of unspoken there is you actually have to do something about it. You don't just talk <laughs> about it. Yes, <laughs> it's just like you can. You can, it's it's all going to change, but you have to be willing uh, to do that. So here's um here's another question that your book asks and and that I think is is important for the churches. How do we become agile in this world? Uh, the church is not known for its agility and its, its ability to just come up with new ideas. And TriTech is sort of trying to do some of that work, but the church itself is slow in, in changing. Mm. So what are some of the, like, if, if, a, if you were going to a church or if, if a person of faith like me, a priest, asked you, it's like, hey, how do I become more agile in this world? I really want to. It's not that I don't want to. I just don't know how. Mm. What would you answer for that? What are, what are some practical ways to do that? So practical way to do that to me is start with the negative VUCA, you know, the threatening VUCA, and then figure out how you can flip it. So to me, uh, volatility will yield will yield to vision. So begin with vision. Um, and I think vision is the starting place. Um, uncertainty will yield to understanding. So this is a time to be listening to each other, to be asking questions, to be kind of pausing and reflecting, not shouting at each other. Uh, complexity will yield to clarity. And, and here again, you want to be very clear where you're going, very flexible, very flexible how you get there. And then finally, uh, ambiguity will yield to agility. And and the way to become more agile is to become essentially a corporate athlete. We have to be physically, mentally, and even spiritually um, prepared and fit. So it isn't necessarily religiously, but it is grounded in the face of all the uncertainty around us. And I do think exercise is really important uh, where we're exercising physically, we're exercising mentally, we're exercising spiritually. We, we talk in um, one of my previous books about the concept of voluntary fear uh, exposure, where you voluntarily expose yourself to frightening situations and low-risk ways. And that's gaming. You know, in the military, I teach at the Army War College and I teach the, the new generals and they read my books and, you know, they call it wargaming. Um, in, in business or in churches, we don't call it wargaming, but it is a kind of gaming or scenario planning or where, where you want to go into 
an environment that you find frightening and practice in low-risk ways to develop your clarity, to develop your skills, to develop your discipline to thrive in that kind of world. That is fascinating it, because it really goes back, it goes it comes down to leadership, right? We are yes. called, especially as a church, I think the church still holds a special place in society yes. where we can be leaders of this new sort of, I think you call them in one of your other books, the enduring leadership qualities, right? The, right. These, these things that right. we have that I, I think the more the church can lean into this rather than being, a, I, I think we're afraid sometimes of the future, uh, mm-hmm. We see dwindling numbers for for congregations, uh, and and just we we keep seeing the reports that tell us that people are this country particularly is becoming less and less of a Christian nation or just a religious nation in general. It's not just mm-hmm. uh, Christianity. Uh, we keep hearing that younger generations have no connection to us; that they see a world that doesn't have organized religion. Uh, more than fifty mm-hmm. percent, according to one of the wide polls reports that I read, and so we're. I think that in some ways, frozen in fear mm. of this future. But I think what this book and, and your other books do is they give us a framework for thinking it through. Mm. And I think if we approach it spiritually, and now, now we can get into the spiritual part of it, is I think if we approach it with, with the part of, of Jesus saying, don't be afraid, that you don't have to be afraid, and we just approach the, the, the future with a little bit of humility that we don't know yeah. all the answers— but that there is a framework to think through some of these answers, some of these questions, yeah. some of these the the problems. Yeah, exactly. And you know, Lorenzo, I'm not as concerned about fear. I I think it's okay to be afraid. Uh, and in fact, if you're not afraid about the kind of futures we're facing, even on a daily basis nowadays, if you're not at least a little bit afraid, you're not paying attention. <laughs> so, you know, so for me, I'm, I'm really saying it's okay to be afraid. What you need is the courage to engage with that fear, to engage with that fear in a way you can practice in a low-risk way, engage with that fear in a way that you can develop courage. So I'm, so I'm actually more concerned about courage than I am about fear, because fear is, to me, part of the deal when you're facing a, a VUCA world. And just, you know, just think about the fa- things we're facing today, um, you know, with all the uncertainty around the banking world, for example, with all yeah. the kind of craziness and uncertainty around the Ukraine war, um, with all the uncertainty around the kind of racial injustice issues around the world. There's so many things out there that are fearful, uh, and they should be. <laughs> you know, so, so to me, I, I, I think we should be afraid. Um, but we shouldn't just be, in your phrase, frozen in fear. You shouldn't be frozen in fear. You should be thriving in fear. You know, figure out how to, how to unfreeze, but then develop to practice in low-risk ways and to emerge with the courage to engage with the fear. But you can't deny it because it is, it is scary. I mean, what's happening around climate? right now in, in this planet. Oh, yeah. That's really frightening. <laughs> and, and, and it's coming, right? It's, yeah. it's, 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 yeah. it's no matter, you can be all afraid you want to, but it's not. But, you know, it's, it's, I think also the positivity of your work is like, yes, 
the world is a VUCA world, right? And you can look at it as volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. But I love that you can turn it into a positive. It's like, okay, recognizing that and naming it, right? Naming the fear of that. Mm -hmm. It's like, now how do we come up with a vision that makes something not so volatile? How do we come up with understanding so that everything is not uncertain, right? So we're, and we, I think yet again, uh, with theology, we, we, we have, I think, an additional uh, piece of, of land, if you will, that we can stand on to, to yeah. help us understand it a little bit. And certainly with the clarity versus the complex and the agility, we're, we're, at least we have TriTech, which, which is a way that we can take low-risk ways of trying new things yeah. in the church. Um, here's... Uh, you you have an MDiv as well. Uh, you got right. uh, so you've studied. Where do you think God is in all of this work? <laughs> well, yeah, God is embedded in the future to me. Um, that's where hope is embedded. That's where faith is invented, embedded, and maybe invented. <laughs> but <laughs> um, but it, it it's interesting the whole concept of faith. Um, I'm doing an interview this afternoon for a journal that's called AI and Faith, you know, Artificial Intelligence and Faith. I didn't know that existed. Oh yeah, my really, really interesting. I can introduce you to those folks, and I think Please. some of your listeners would be interested in that audience. And it's it, it's a group that was tech people who had an interest in faith. And, and to me, um, you know, faith includes questions. Uh, yes. And, you know, faith, that's why it's called a leap of faith, or maybe, you know, as I recall, wasn't it Kierkegaard who said maybe it's a leap into faith or a leap of faith? I don't know. There's that distinction of whether it's into or of. It is definitely a leap of faith, and there's an implied uncertainty around that. You know, belief, particularly extreme belief, um, that's a whole other deal. Um, so I think engaging with the VUCA world, engaging with the future requires a sense of faith in the future. And I've struggled with that phrase, and I keep thinking I'm going to write a book about that um, that's going to be called Faith in the Future, and it's going to have a double meaning. It's both faith in the future and the concept of faith in the future. In the future. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because I think that double meaning is really important and really interesting, and I haven't yet figured out how to write the book, but I believe that Faith links to that concept we talked about earlier of clarity. And, you know, I went to the divinity school that Martin Luther King went to, Crozier, and I was there in Chester, Pennsylvania, when he was killed. And I got to study with some of his professors, and I got to go back through the intellectual influences he was under when he was in divinity school. And one of my big surprises was that his clarity was around social justice. It wasn't just around civil rights. And one of the issues that came up later in his life is a lot of people close to him said, you're getting too spread out. You you can't do environmental issues. You can't be opposed to the Vietnam War. You can't focus on poverty. You should be all about civil rights. And he said, no, 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 it's really about social justice. And these other things are related to social justice. So to me, that was a statement of faith around the importance of social justice as the clarity. And the leap of faith is how do you decide how to get from here to there? And things like civil rights, like poverty, like the anti-war movement in the Vietnam War period, um, 
and environmental issues. You know, he was involved in the first Earth Day. <laughs> and, oh, wow. And some people said, you shouldn't do that. <laughs> and he said, no, no, this is, this is about the same thing. But it goes to your point, though, of, of having that clear vision. Yes. Everything, it, and, and, and I guess in, in your seven points from, from the book, purpose is about the vision, right? Exactly. Purpose, that's why we start with purpose. It's where, that's where you find your, your purpose and your meaning. And one of the interesting things, Lorenzo, that came out during the COVID shutdowns is there was a big research study done by the Blue Zones Project that concluded that purpose-driven people are happier, they're healthier, and they live up to seven years longer. Purpose-driven people who work for purpose-driven organizations are happier, they're healthier, they live up to 14 years longer, and the organizations tend to perform better. So, you know, that's a big message, even though you can say, well, maybe church membership is going down, but that quest for meaning is going up. It's it's not going away. <laughs> it's just there's different paths to pursue that meaning. There's different sources to find that kind of sense of meaning. And it and the value of purpose, I think, is becoming more prominent, more pronounced, more articulated. And those stories of purpose, I think, are going to be be so important to make to make the future better. And and I think it's it's so if the church can't answer the question about vision or purpose right from the get-go, then we should just step out of the way and let it let it die. Yeah, this you know, is your should. home court. I mean, you can <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that, that is the one thing that we should be like. Oh, we got that one. That one we got. The agility got part. One. Let's talk about something else. But the, the purpose <laughs> and vision, we got that. You got that, <laughs> Bob. I uh, can't believe how quickly the time went. Thank you very much for joining us. Uh, on the sh- in the show notes, we will have the chat bot. We will have a discount for the book, Bob's latest book, which is called Office Shock: Creating Better Futures for Working and Living. There is, as you can just tell from this conversation, there's a lot of applications also for the church. I commend that book to you. I have it in my library, but then again, I have all of Bob's books in the library. So. <laughs> yeah, and let me just say also, Lorenzo, as we close, that I wrote this book with Joseph Press, who's an architect by training. Um, he's also a Jewish mystic, which is oh. really interesting to me. He's very dedicated practitioner and honors the Sabbath and kind of lives by spiritual principles. My other co-author is uh, Christine Bullen, who is an information systems professor, uh, who also has quite an interest in world religions and has kind of grown up with uh, a kind of interest in faith and importance of belief. So you'll see, I think, because all three of us are interested in spirituality or interested in how religion plays a role, we've all kind of brought our own perspective. Joseph, about the physical architecture, although now he's engaged in the digital world as well. Christine, more from the digital world, and she grew up with the role of information tech. Both of them came out of the MIT world. Uh, And then I'm coming in more as a social scientist, a humble futurist trying to make sense out of all this. Well, it sounds excellent. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you, Lorenzo. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe and be sure to leave a review. To learn more about Tritank, visit tritank.org. Be sure to sign up for our monthly newsletter where you can keep up with all of our experiments. The Tritank podcast is a production of Tritank in association with Resonate Media. Tritank is a joint venture between Virginia Theological Seminary and General Theological Seminary. 
Again, thanks for joining us. I'm Father Lorenzo Labrija. Until next time, may God bless you. Do you have something to say? Are there people who want or need to hear from you? Have you always wanted to start a podcast but don't know where to start? Welcome to Resonate Media, where our mission is to amplify you. At Resonate Media, we focus on helping underrepresented voices and aspiring podcasters get started by providing equipment, expertise, and experience to help you launch a podcast. To get started, visit ResonateMediaPro.com. Don't let the confusion, complications, and costs of hosting, recording, editing, and distribution hold you back. The world needs to hear what you have to say. Resonate Media can help your voice be heard.